So today our passage will be from Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. So if you could turn there or open your Bible apps, um, just read with me. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and we saw this man, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the, on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil, oil and wine, that he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whenever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So as Pastor Younger has already mentioned, during these last few weeks, our church has been going over our core values. And this has been a good time for us to be reminded about what we believe in and, what we, and who we are in the gospel truth. During our first week, again, Pastor Younger has already mentioned this, but I'm repeating it, our core values number one and two, that we believe that scripture is our final authority and that our worship is to be God-centered rather than human-centered. Last week, Pastor Kide talked about our core values number three and four, that our relationships are to be God-centered and that we value people over production. And now for this week, I will be talking about our core values number five and six, that we as God's people seek to love our community and seek to be part of the global church. And my preaching today is mostly going to be over loving the community, our fifth core value. But I do briefly want to read over our statement on being part of the global church. Uh, so this is our sixth value, core value. CCPC is only one of many gospel-centered churches. We partner with other local churches and churches abroad so that we may share in God's plan to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. While God has called each Christian to join and be part of a singular local church, we rejoice and aid other gospel-centered ministries and churches as well because we know our church cannot share the gospel to all people. But back to the main message for today of loving our community. One of the main functions of the church is to gather the body of believers, to establish the pattern of weekly gatherings and worship so that God's people can love each other, grow in the gospel, and glorify our Lord. In this way, the church should be inwardly focused as it is concerned about the fellowship of the believers and the spiritual growth of its members. But the church should not only be inwardly focused, the church is not simply a social club where we gather for our own social needs. The church is not also simply a moralistic institution separated from the rest of society so that it can be viewed as a moral example. The church is both inwardly and outwardly focused. 
the church is called to radically love both the body of Christ and the community around us. This means we here at CCPC are called to love the community of Norcross. For you Emory students, you are called to love Emory and, the fellow student, and your fellow students. For us working adults, we are called to love our workplace and our colleagues. And for all of us, we are all called to love our friends and our families, even the ones who may be difficult to us. But what does love mean? What does it look like to love our community? That ter the term love is thrown around so often that if I were to grab 10 people off the street and ask them for a definition of love, I would not be surprised at all if I got 10 different answers. And hopefully and Lord willing, today we would be able to not only see why the church is called to love our community, but that we may have greater desire and clarity on how to actually do it. So my, for my, the passage today, I'll be talking about five main points. So for those who like taking notes and having a structure of a message, here it is. In my passage, I'll be talking about first, the primacy of love. The second point, the people we are to love. The third point, the posture of love. The fourth point, the problem of love. And then the fifth point, the perfect love. And I'll repeat it again if it was too fast for you. The primacy of love, the people we are to love, the posture of love, the problem of love, and then the perfect love. So the passage in Luke 10.25 starts off with a lawyer, or better defined, an expert of the law, coming to trap and defame Jesus' name. As it says in verse 25, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This expert of the law most likely is motivated to trap Jesus because he saw that many non-religious people enjoyed being around him. The Bible even says that Jesus was a friend to sinners, just as we have sung today. Unlike this expert of the law and other religious leaders, the, these non-religious people who are gathering around Jesus did not take obeying the law of God seriously. So this expert of the law most likely thought that Jesus was a false teacher who did not care about the law of God as well. Therefore, he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The lawyer was most likely hoping and saying, hoping that Jesus would say, follow me and you will receive eternal life. Because if Jesus said that, then the expert of the law could say, see, Jesus is more concerned about himself than the law of God. But Jesus already seeing this law expert's heart and schemes responds very winsomely and says in verse 26, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus is showing that he is indeed concerned with the law of God, but what we will also see is that Jesus is teaching this so-called expert of the law what the law is all about. The lawyer then says, you shall love the, God, your, the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus then answers, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will, you will live. And this brings us to our first point, the primacy of love, specifically in the law of God. In our modern time today, we often think that law giving and love cannot coexist. The development and expression of the individual is king in our society. I mean, we hear all the time, America is the land of the free. I want to do things my way. And this is my life, so I make my choices. Therefore, many times, certain laws are seen as oppressive, cruel, and unhealthy for the individual if they go against their autonomy. Additionally, and understandably so, we often think that love cannot exist 
with the law because of people like this expert of the law in this passage. These people care more about being right than actually caring about other people. When Jesus tells him to love his neighbor as himself, it says in verse 29 that he desired to justify himself and asked, who is my neighbor? While at first this question may seem innocent, is actually a very ill-intended question asked by this man. You see, this lawyer uh, devoted himself to the study of God's law so that he could justify himself with his own actions. He was like that perfect, faithful church member that you see sometimes today. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Those people are never cussing, um, never drinking, always showing up on Sundays, always serving the pastor's favorite, or even the congregation is the pastor himself. Or even the, uh, and everyone in the church is always talking about how spiritual or faithful they are. But sadly, sometimes these people care more, more about their reputation than people. On top of that, this lawyer probably had a good chunk of the Old Testament memorized. He most likely thought to himself, I know all the laws. I follow them. I'm a very religious person, so I am saved because of my obedience. So whenever this expert of the law hears that he must love his neighbor, he panics. He's thinking to himself, wait, Jesus, you can't be telling me I have to love all people, right? That's not possible. So he asked Jesus who is his neighbor, who his neighbor is, so that he can hopefully make this impossible task more doable. He wants to limit the amount of people he needs to love. Then he will be able to justify himself and say that he has obediently received salvation by his works. But how backward is this? This supposedly religious man is sadly more concerned about being justified than loving people. If this man truly loved loving people, he would be eager and excited to hear that he is called to love as many people as possible. But instead, he is more concerned about his own well-being and his salvation. Paul the Apostle shows the true heart of someone who follows God, as he says in Romans chapter 9, verse 3, For I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul is basically saying here that he wishes he could forfeit his own salvation if it meant saving his peers. Paul is concerned more about the well-being of others than his own salvation. While this expert of the law is more concerned about justifying himself than loving people, Paul is more concerned about other people's salvation than his own justification. Again, people like this expert of the law, who on the surface level seem like they are the perfect rule abiders, but don't actually care for people are the reason why we often think that love and the law cannot coexist. But this cannot be further from the truth, as we see here in this passage. Actually, love is at the center of the law of God and the center of the Christian faith. Love is the primary reason why the law of God was established. I mean, think about it. Let's go through the Ten Commandments. And the fifth commandment says, honor your father and mother. This commandment tells and encourages us to love our parents. Commandments 6 through 10 say, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie, and do not covet. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure about you, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that not killing other people, not committing adultery, not stealing from other people, not lying, and not coveting are all very loving things to do to other people. The law is established so that sinful people like us would be able to love, respect, and honor one another. If our society did not have the laws that we follow today, crime would be running rampant. But more importantly, 
the law of God is established so that we can, we ourselves can love God better. The first commandment within the Ten Commandments says to not have any other gods than God himself. And the second commandment says to not make and not worship any idols. These commandments are set so that we may know how to love God properly. This is why Jesus says it is correct when the expert of the law says that the law can be read and summarized as loving the Lord and loving your neighbor. And this is why we believe the church is called to love the community. The law of God is not primarily concerned with the stereotypical understanding of Christian obedience. It's not just about getting, not getting drunk, not swearing, going to church on Sundays, reading your Bible every day. It's not just about following the rules. The law of God does include such things. The Christian faith does include such things. And those are good things. But again, it is primarily concerned with our love for God and our love for people. This is what Christianity is at its core. God's love for us, our love for God, and our love for people. But this brings us to our second point, the people we are to love. We are to love God and to love our neighbor as we do ourselves. So who is our neighbor? As mentioned already, the expert of the law wanted to identify who his neighbor was so that he could hopefully limit the amount of people he had to love. But this question is still very important for us as God's people to understand. Jesus answers the question by sharing a story, which is the parable of this Good Samaritan. The story talks about a man, most likely a Jewish man, who was traveling down the path from Jerusalem to Jericho. While he was on this journey, he was brutally assaulted uh, by a band of robbers who stole all of his possessions and left him half dead. And a, and a priest walks by and sees this half dead man and passes by without helping him. Next, a Levite, who is essentially an assistant of the priest, sees the half-dead man and, again, passes by without helping him. But a Samaritan sees the half-dead man, has compassion on him, and patches him up, transports him to an inn, pays for all of his medical and residential bills while he was at this inn as well. And after telling this story, Jesus then asked the law expert, who out of the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, was the neighbor to this dying man. Naturally, the lawyer would have expected the priest or the Levite to be the ones to stop and aid this dying man. First, the man who was robbed was most likely Jewish, and the priest and the Levites were both temple workers for the Jewish community. Therefore, they were brothers of the same faith with this dying man, but they didn't do anything. The Samaritan, on the other hand, was supposedly the least likely out of the three to have helped because the Jews and the Samaritans were enemies. Samaritans were viewed by the Jews as half-breeds, tainted, somewhat of a religious cult, somewhat similar to what we see in Harry Potter with wizards and muggles. Therefore, between the Jews and the Samaritans, there were a lot of racial and religious tension. But regardless, the Samaritan man saw the dying man on the road and had compassion and saved him. Therefore, going back to Jesus' question on who the dying man's neighbor was, the law expert correctly answers that the Samaritan, the one who showed mercy, was truly the loving neighbor. You see, Jesus intentionally put the two most opposite people at that time, a Samaritan helping a Jew, to show the extent of who our neighbors are. If you were dying and in dire need of help, you wouldn't care about the details of, of what the person, the person who's helping you would be, you would just want help. Therefore, we can see for ourselves from this story that the definition of our neighbor and who we are, the people we are to love, goes beyond our social class, 
our racial group, our political party, our age group, our friend group, enemy group. I naturally like that person. I naturally don't like that person. Personality type, zodiac sign, Capricorn, not Capricorn, whatever categories you can think of. Anyone in need is your neighbor. This is our neighbor. This speaks volumes for us today. We can't help it, but naturally want to limit our neighbors to be part of who are who, who's similar to us. College and school are the perfect example of this. You have the Asian American friend groups over here. You have the international students over there. You have the Black Student Alliance over here, the Jewish frats over there, the Oxford students over here, the pre-meds over there, the business school students over there, the Christian fellowship over here, the Muslim group over there, all separated in their own friend groups. It's easy to be friends and love people who are similar to us. But Jesus does not let us limit who we are to love. But he challenges us and tells us that anyone in need is our neighbor. And these are anyone in need is, are the people we are to love. Now to my third point, the posture of love. What does love look like? How are we to love our neighbors? The parable of the Good Samaritan not only tells us who we are to love, but also tells us how we are to love. The man in the story traveled down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and this road was commonly known to be a very dangerous path by the people at the time. It was common for people to get robbed on this road, for the road was an 18-mile route full of long stretches of rocking terrain where it was easy for robbers to hide and wait for people to ambush. In modern times, it's basically like a sketchy alley in a big city where robbers waited to mug people, but in an 18-mile alley. If someone were to help this dying man on the road, they would be letting their guard down and putting themselves in a very high chance of getting assaulted themselves. So the, the behavior of the priest and the Levite was actually very believable by those listening to the parable. And it is actually the act of the Good Samaritan that was hard to believe. I mean, would you risk your life to save someone else, a stranger? If someone for some reason collapsed on the ground in the middle of, the, of an Atlanta intersection, and the incoming cars could not see this collapsed person and kept driving, would you go out into the intersection to save them? You could get hit by a car at any time. Danger is impeding if you help. And I honestly don't know if I could do it myself. This man, this good Samaritan, he risked getting robbed and assaulted himself for this dying man. On top of that, he healed his wounds Use the animal that he was probably initially riding on to transport the injured man to the nearest inn. He spent two denarii, which was equivalent to two full days of a person's wage today for the inn expenses, and then is willing to pay even more in the future and take time out of his schedule to come back to the inn to pay for the remaining costs of the injured man's treatments. But I hope you can see this posture of love that Jesus is portraying. Loving means sacrificing for those in need. Let me repeat that again. The posture of love and loving your neighbor means sacrificing for those in need. The good Samaritan sacrifices comfort, his safety, his time, his money, his mental and emotional energy for the stranger dying on the road. And it's sad to say our society today has become less aware of what love is and thereby less capable of loving and sacrificing for others. And this is partly due to an obsession for individualism and self-care in our society that kind of worships it. Don't get me wrong, individuality and self-care are not intrinsically bad things. They're actually really good things. But the obsession of the individual 
and the obsession of self-care is toxic. The self-care movement has brought, brought great benefits to us who live in a high-performing and high-burnout culture. But again, the obsession of self-care has caused us to not want to sacrifice for others. We have bought into the memo that we should always look out for ourselves first and that we should never do anything for other if it costs us something. We have to always be looking out for ourselves first. But the Bible says differently. Philippians 2.4 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bearing one another's burdens means to put something hard and difficult onto yourself for the sake of lying the burden of someone else. Love is costly and is sacrificial. So what about us? The CCPC strive to love and sacrifice for the vulnerable in our community. Do you Emory students seek to love and sacrifice for the sake of your campus and your fellow students? Do you working adults seek to love and sacrifice for your workplace and your coworkers? Do we love and sacrifice for our family and friends in need? For those of you who knew Michael Yu, he used to be an Emory student while I was a student at undergrad and was a former member of, the, of our church. I never got to tell him this yet, but I really should. I always admired how he was really loving to the students at Emory. After church on Sundays, Michael would always take the leftover donuts from our morning service and then bring them to the library so he could just pass them out to random strangers. He knew that students were stressed out on Sundays because we all know at Emory, Sunday is catch-up day for all the time we wasted over the weekend. Uh, but Michael would always diligently do his work from Monday to Saturday, knowing that Saturday, Sunday would be the day that he would pass out donuts to stressed out students in the library. Or even if he didn't have the most productive week, he would still pass out donuts and try to be more productive the upcoming week. Michael could have very easily just done whatever he wanted over the weekend and wasted time and crammed study on Sunday. But he took time out of his schedule, had to probably deal with a handful of awkward situations, approaching random strangers with donuts, in hopes of showing Christ-like love to this community. But this is just one example of love and sacrifice to those who are, were in need, which in this case was stressed out students at the library. Again, the posture of love is to sacrifice for those in need. So we've talked about point one, the law of God is primarily concerned about love. We went over point number two, which is that anyone in need are the people we are to love. And we just went over point number three, that sacrificing is a posture of love. This brings us to point number four, the problem of love. The story of the Good Samaritan sounds nice and all, but if we are really being real, this task that Jesus gives to the law expert and to the church is too hard for us to accomplish. It's, it's even impossible. If we are being real, we would acknowledge that we suck at loving. That, that is the problem of love. Love is just not in our nature. If we were being real, we wouldn't acknowledge that we are just like this expert of the law who seek to limit the people that we must love so that we don't need to sacrifice too much for the needs of others. We are the priest and the Levite in the story. I saw the half-dead man and walked on by. During this past winter break when I was back in Oklahoma, I don't remember exactly who I was talking with, but I remember I was talking with some of the Oklahoma church people and someone was saying that relationships are really hard. I totally agree. The person says something along the lines that all I want is a relationship is to be able to find someone who is just can love well. That's all I want. And then someone else chimed in saying, dang, that's a low bar. And then I was like, I was like, what are you talking about? That is not a low bar at all. 
that is not a low, loving well is not a low bar at all. I mean, look at Taylor Swift. She has 25 breakup songs. Don't ask me how I know that. I just do. Um, but for the married people in our church, you guys can really agree, marriage is one of the most challenging things in life. Relationships are hard. Loving is hard. We suck at it. Loving is hard and unnatural because our sin has made love into something that is self-centered when it is supposed to be altruistic. We tend to think that love is simply an emotion, something that makes us feel really good. We want to date because we want to get something out of it and feel good ourselves, but we never desire to date because we want to love and serve someone more. Loving should overall be a very joyful thing, but there are going to be times when loving someone is going to be hard and you won't feel good on the inside, and that's okay. Again, loving is sacrificing. It is, yes, an emotion of compassion that leads to action, and a lot of times you don't get anything out of it. We have a problem with loving because our sins make us selfish, and our culture tells us that love is something that should always make you feel good. But going back to the story of Michael and his donut-giving ministry, while I was was a student at Emory, Michael approached me during midterm season and asked if I would want to buy some donuts and help pass them out to the students as well. But my initial response in my head was like, I don't have time for that. I have to study for my own exams. I have lectures, I have club meetings. And at the end of the day, I just wanna hang out with my friends or play basketball, I'm tired. My initial heart response was not to love. Again, the problem with love is that love is unnatural to us. But as God's people, we are still called to do it. So what are we to do when loving is hard and it seems impossible? And this transitions us to my fifth and final point. We are to look at the perfect love of Jesus. When Jesus was telling the story of the Good Samaritan, he wasn't just trying to teach a good moral lesson for us to follow. He was actually trying to humble this expert of the law so that he would realize his need for Jesus. The expert of the law was shocked by the requirements of God's law and was probably thinking to himself, there's no way that I can love God with all my heart, mind, strength, and there's no way that I can love my neighbor as I love myself. There's absolutely no way. And I would like to think that we, we as well would think the same thing when we hear these requirements. But again, that's the point. Jesus is telling the expert of the law and us that we are unable to love by our own strength. We cannot love sacrificially because we have not fully received and experienced the sacrificial love for ourselves. But nothing in this world can give us this perfect love except for Jesus Christ himself. For scripture even says God is love and he is the source of all love. The Bible actually tells us that all of us are just like this half-dead man, this dying man on the road. Ephesians 2.5 says that we are dead in our trespasses and our sins. Therefore, we are just like, or worse off than this half-dead man because we are fully dead in our sins. And Jesus is actually the good Samaritan who loves us deeply and comes and saves us. Jesus was the one who came down from heaven into this world and sacrificed his comfort and security for our sake. While the dying man was a Jew and the Jews and the Samaritans were enemies and hated each other, we as sinners were enemies to God and hated him. I mean, you don't, need to talk to, you don't need to talk to too many people to find that out. A lot of people hate God. Yet Christ had compassion on humanity. While the good Samaritan only risked his safety and his resources, while there's only a chance of risk to save the dying man on the road, the sacrifice of Jesus' life was guaranteed as he suffered the sins of all humanity in order to save us. I can't even fathom what it would be like 
to be condemned in hell for all of eternity, but yet Christ himself took on the condemnation and the suffering of sin for all humanity. As I mentioned earlier, we often try to love so that we can get something out of it. But Christ, the king of the universe, gave all he had so that he could love us. On this world, Jesus did not get anything out of loving us. Instead, he actually lost a lot. But he came to love because he was moved by compassion and glorified God through it all. Christ gave us the perfect love that we do not deserve. Therefore, I urge you, put your faith in Christ and seek to know his, this love more. And for us at CCPC, start small and have the vision of what loving your neighbor is at the, as the goal. Start by loving that one family member that you find it so hard to love, or start with a specific friend or a classmate in mind. But know as you start small and commit to that, God uses that to grow your heart so that you can love all people better and more. And when we find it hard to love our neighbor, look unto Jesus and continue to receive his perfect love so that you can love the community around you and not just be concerned about yourself. Last thing I want to say is that there are many needs in this world. There are people who are stressed, hungry, anxious, lonely, lacking clothes, and so many more. The needs are endless. But I want to make it abundantly clear that the most loving thing we can do for our neighbor is to share the gospel. Don't get me wrong. There will be times where God calls us to love someone by simply listening to them without saying much from our end. There will be times where God will call us to just give out donuts to students and not have much of a conversation with them. But looking for the opportunity to share or show the gospel should always be in mind. Jesus himself on his time on earth came and fed the hungry and healed the cripple. He did a lot of things to meet the needs of all these other needs. But we must remember that Jesus ultimately came and was moved by compassion to die and to save us from our sins. Everyone is in dire need of the gospel. Therefore, we must love our communities and our neighbors by sharing the good news of Christ. So again, going back to the donut story with Michael, even though my heart initially did not want to do to help pass out donuts, I eventually decided to go with it for whatever reason. So we, brought, we bought the donuts, and before we started to distribute them, we started talking about how this time we wanted to be a little bit more intentional to share the gospel explicitly to the people we met today, that day. And man, we were, we were so nervous. Most Emory students do not like Christianity, so we were pretty scared of the backlash we might get from some people. I still remember we were praying for each other, and we were like, God, give us strength. God, give us courage. And then after we prayed, I was like, Michael, is your, is your hand shaking? He was like, yeah, it's shaking. And I was like, he was like, is your hand shaking? I'm like, yeah, my hand is shaking. Um, and we're like, good luck, brother. Good luck, brother. And we went our separate ways to pass out donuts. Luckily, by God's grace and wisdom, we allowed, he allowed us to make good, loving, and winsome conversations with non-Christians that day about Christ. We didn't, we didn't force the gospel down their throat. But I still remember one of the things that pushed me to make conversation with people that day, even though I was super nervous, was because I was reminded of what Christ did for me. Also, I thought to myself, if I were hypothetically a non-Christian, and obviously I can say, only say this because as a Christian now, but if I hypothetically were a non-Christian, I would want my Christian friends to share the gospel with me. One of the biggest blessings about being a Christian is that one day we will be in eternity with God, who is the very essence of perfect love. But also all of those who God used to share and grow the gospel in my heart 
will be there as well. And I cannot wait for that day where I can be there face to face with all those people in heaven and say, thank you, dad and mom, for growing me up in the faith. Thank you to that pastor who I don't even remember the name of for preaching the gospel at that one summer camp where I became a Christian. Thank you to my friend, Matt, for teaching me more about what the gospel means. Thank you to my CCPC family for spurring me on to grow my faith and to preach the gospel, not only to others, but to myself. Thank you to every single one of these people for being my loving neighbor who shared the ultimate gift of Christ to me. God is good. He is the perfect love. He is all we need. So I urge you, put your trust in him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this wonderful day that we can come and worship you. God, we confess that we so often make something that's pure and good, such as love, into something that's self-centered. And God, we often tend to think that, we tend to love the created things that you have made more than you, the creator yourself. But God, as we have seen and heard from the story and through the life of Christ, you had compassion on us, even though we were lost, even though we were blind, even though we were your enemies in sin. So I pray, Lord, that you would just continue to renew our hearts so that we may know your love more, that we would put our faith in you and glorify you in all that we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.